0: So, I don't know if any of you are motivated by this picture. Can you feel the power? No, I am, this is a picture that has motivated me over the years. Now, I admit that probably in my teen years it was just out of, you know, feeling of, of girl power. But then you know, once you like something, people give you things. Mug, Rosie the Riveter. Turvis. Rosie the Riveter. Full 24 ounces there, my favorite kind. Um, empowerment, oh yeah, a couple of. Um, I even have bobblehead and action figure Rosie the Riveter, check her pumping arm out, you know, she bobbles, but I really like her because she's got this action arm, yes, okay, so yes, once you find out that you, people find out that you like something, and maybe you happen to dress as her for Halloween, it's a small picture because I pulled it off. Facebook, because I couldn't find the original. Steve is a UK fan, which is definitely a costume. Um, That was for my brother's rehearsal dinner, because he got married on Halloween. But I'm going to have to pull her back out again sometime, because she's just a good costume. But as, you know, I learned more of the history over the years, uh, my mom's friend sent me A link to say that all of these Rosies were gathered this spring in Washington, D.C. and honored. And when I really looked back at these ladies and saw who they were, and you see her little picture she has of when she worked there. And I just looked at her, and that picture right there, I just kept it on my phone, and I just keep going back to it. I'm like, this is my motivation, not just the poster, to look at these real women and look in their eyes. And the women stepped up in World War II. The men were away, and I love that the propaganda was made to draw them in, come help the workforce. But they really did serve their country, they served their families, they weren't afraid to take on a new role. And these women are heroes. Now, I've seen a lot of examples of strong women in my life. Both moms and not moms. But I thought on this Mother's Day, it would be nice to look at some strong women in the Bible. Um, when Mother's Day rolls around, I find myself thinking of all the different people in my life who've worked hard, who've stepped up for me and for others, and so let's look at someone who stepped up today. Turn to Judges 4, and you know what? I need a reader. Anybody want to read? There's a couple of strange biblical places, words in there, but otherwise, it's not scary. Thank you. Do you have a microphone? It's
1: good. Oh, there it
0: is. Thank you, Brooklyn. Okay, can you read one through three for us, Brooklyn?
1: After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help.
0: Okay, so usually when I read stories like this, I kind of forgot these verses were even in here because I'm kind of like, eh, setting, setting, places, I don't know, whatever. But the two important things I want to point out here, it does set up the situation at hand. First... We see that Israel is in the middle of their cycle again. There's a cycle of relationship they have with the Lord. And a great preacher once told me that Judges is an entire book where all Israel does is, okay, we love you, Lord, we love you, Lord, and now we're getting distracted, we're wandering away, we're doing evil in the Lord's sight, and so then God's like, fine, I'll let people come and take you over again. And then after a while, they're like, we don't like this, this is bad. Okay, Lord, 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 we're back to you again. And so then he brings about a judge ...to be his part of his rescue process. So it's just this big cycle. Every judge you see has come up in a time where Israel has fallen away... ...and now a new leader has to step in and represent the Lord... ...and help enact his plan to bring Israel back to himself. So that is the situation here. They have begun to stray. And now um, the, the people who are oppressing them... ...in these opening verses, we meet the bad guys... We see that Jabin was a king of Canaan. Now, we've probably heard the Canaanites before. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. They're all hating on God's people. The Canaanites, we keep seeing their name time and again. And now they've got a new king, and they've got a commander of the army. Why he was pretty scary was apparently he had a fancy weapon that was intimidating at the time. Iron chariots. 900 of them to be in to be precise, and he cruelly oppressed God's people for 20 years, so they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, let's go on to Judges 4, 4 through 5.
1: Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided.
0: Okay, so this is who God sent to help his people come back to him and bring them back um, out of oppression. They were going to have to do some battle with the Canaanites. But first we set up and see that they've had a person in not only a governmental role, it says Deborah was a judge and a prophet. So she has been set up in a, in a governmental role, there's the military, but she's also... A voice of God. She has been chosen to speak words on behalf of him, and not all the judges were, were prophets also, so this is, differentiates her. She's also a woman in a time where women in leadership were were rare. In fact, one commentary said, well, if she was in charge, there must have been a lack of men to fill the position. <laughs> I said, well, you know, no matter what the case was, I feel like it's a Rosie the Riverdale scenario then. The men are gone. She's stepping up. But we know that God has reasons for choosing people. And he often uses people who others might not suspect. You know, others might consider lots of people in the Bible weak or undeserving or overlooked. And that's who God chooses to use. So in this time, it was Deborah. But we do see that she is deemed to have high character in her roles. People came to her not just to settle disputes, or arguments among themselves, but they were asking what God's wisdom was on the situation, and that is what she provided for them. Um, I also like that she several commentaries called her a woman of splendor, but I like her choice of where she got to work, under a palm tree. That's me, my feet under a palm tree, flashing back there. Um, And the palm tree was even named after her, so I just find that an interesting significance that this was like her trademark here. And her name, Deborah, means bee. Little bee. All right, let's look at verses 6 through 9, and we're going to uh, meet the next leader. This is a, a co-leader, the one who leads the military of the time and worked with Deborah.
1: She sent for Barak, son of Abin, Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army and his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Ganesh.
0: Okay, so this is Barak, and he's the leader of the army, and you, you know, you have certain... ...points of view about a leader of the army. I picture him, big picture a strong guy, a decisive person. And Deborah in the prophet role gives him a command from God. He's supposed to go and confront Sisera and this whole iron chariot uh, military going on there... ...and defeat the Canaanites. And this clearly says right here, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. So number one, it's from the Lord... And number two, it says that he's going to deliver them into his hands. So he's got not only a command of action, he has a promise. God's going to provide. So what is Barak's response? Will you go with me? Now, I kind of wonder, okay, what was the big deal? Why was there a negative, why was that a negative response to be had? Because it seems that Deborah agrees, I will go with you. She offers support. But he also seems to have a consequence here. So... One perspective is that he was kind of seeing Deborah as a good luck charm, because if she's not only the judge but a prophet, she represents God. So it's kind of like, okay, if Deborah's with me, then God will definitely be there, and then I'll have victory. Like, he couldn't fully trust God's promise. He needed to have, like, a physical presence there. And I kind of connect that to when I, you know, ask my mother-in-law or my mom to pray for me, because I think they're some of the most holy people I know so if they pray for me, God has to listen to them, right? So that's kind of how I see this situation setting up was that, uh, sorry, is that uh, Barack was asking for help, and but he wanted a little bit more reassurance on his side. So it reminds me of Moses asking for God to send Aaron to speak instead of him. Again, this is a request where the Lord wasn't happy because he chose Moses, he chose Barak, for special reasons. And he was trying to tell them that it was him working, it was his power. And these people were chosen for particular reasons, and so God wants them to have more faith in him. I kind of just wonder, okay, if Barak had said, great, I trust you, this is a great plan, I'm going to go out there. Is there any way Deborah could come just because it would help give me encouragement? I don't know. Do you think God's response would have been different? You know, this gets me thinking that it's okay. It's okay to ask for help from other people. I don't think God's saying he shouldn't have asked Deborah, but perhaps the heart, the spirit behind it. Do we trust God or are we trusting in just people? We had a conversation about this at Bible study a few weeks ago saying how sometimes we tend to fret and worry and we take it upon ourselves so it's like okay if i have a problem i'm going to ask for your help and your help and i'm going to call this person and this person we're all going to talk about it and then maybe i'll feel better whereas what if our response is first to go to god and ask for his wisdom and then if he speaks through other people and we feel like okay i should go and sometimes we're led by that to go ask certain people for advice especially those with godly wisdom and that's okay as long as we're going together to pray to God and to still put it in his hands. So just the difference in our approach and our heart behind this situation, whether we're having a lack of faith or a trust in God. Now, I find it interesting that the result of this request, very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you were going about this, the honor will not be yours. The Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So, again, we can see that the the situation is the heart of Barak because of the way you were going about this. And his punishment was a woman would get the glory to defeat defeat Sisera himself. Now, I don't know. Maybe I should consider that... um, Maybe I should consider it an insult that... His punishment was that, ha-ha, you're going to get beat by a girl. But I kind of find it funny, too. In that time, it was probably maybe a little blow to the ego, so it's kind of entertaining. Next, let's read Judges 4, verse 10.
1: Where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah
0: also went with him. Okay, so... Again, I just wanted to picture this in our minds. There's 10,000 military soldiers with him. And I don't know, you'd think that would give Barak confidence, but he still felt better. It says Deborah did go with him. Deborah, the little bee, was at his side. Okay, now let's look on to verses 14 through 16, and we'll find the result of this battle with the Canaanites.
1: Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by ten thousand men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera all the way all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. Did you see? Sixteen, sorry. But that's Barak good. pursued the chariots and army as far no, as that's, that's good. Yeah.
0: Oh. Okay. Okay. I love how it says that the Lord routed Sisera and his chariots. Again, that's what God had promised, that he would be the one to go ahead. So it really didn't matter who he used, right? God was going to get the victory no matter who participated, but he wanted Barak to participate. Now, the nice thing is that I see here is victory, right? Though Barak had doubted and had expressed that he didn't have full faith, and he had been kind of chastised for that, God still used him. He wasn't discounted. He didn't say, okay, you've doubted, now I'm going to go pick somebody else. Barak was still willing to go, and the Lord was still ready to use him. Barak even sang in a celebration song with Deborah in Judges 5 about the whole victory, even the parts that he didn't participate in that gave somebody else the glory. So I feel like that his heart did come around around the whole situation. And in Hebrews 11, Barak is in the list of the Hall of Faith, if you've ever read that chapter before. There's a list of all these different faithful people in the Bible. And Barak is there. So you really see his redemption story through all this. And what that says to me is that it's okay if we fail. If we have times of lack of faith, God is still ready to use us. I'm going to say it again because I think we all need to hear it. It's okay when we fail or if we have doubts. God is still able to use us. He doesn't discount us. If we're still willing to move forward and obey him, he is ready to use us. Let's look at verse, I want you to read verse 11 and then jump to verse 17. We want to set up the next scenario by explaining um, who this next group of people are.
1: Now Heber the Canaanite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there were friendly relations between Jabin king of Hazor and the clan of Heber the
0: Kenite. Okay, so all this strange language means. There was Israel, and they were being oppressed by the Canaanites, and there was a side group. The side group had been a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law. So they're kind of connected to Israel, but they're separate. They're on friendly, friendly relations. But then, when you look at verse 17... It also says that there were friendly relations between Jabin of the Canaanites and this tribe, too. So they were kind of, the Kenites were in the middle. They were friends on both sides. So when Sisera escaped, he didn't get killed, we know, by Barak, but the rest of his military army was killed, and he escaped, and he thought he could go hide out in this camp of people because they were friendly. So, we also know that they are friendly with Israel, so we're not really sure what side they're going to fall in. Let's look at verses 18 through 24 um, and find out what happened.
1: Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she put a covering over him. I'm thirsty, he said, please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him.
0: Okay, so we meet the third main character here in our story. Uh, It's funny when I tell people that I really like this Bible story because I don't know what they think of me when I say that I like this. Because... She's one of my favorite women in the Bible. And I'm not typically a person that just likes gory stories or, or descriptions, but I, I kind of picture it cartoony in my head. <laughs> if you've never seen the Lego Bible version here, just search that sometime. So that's kind of how I picture it in my head. It's kind of amusing, but I know it was a real thing that actually happened. It's probably really gross. But um, I find it interesting that this was such an odd and unexpected scenario here Sisera thinks that he's going to escape and go to some friendly people who are on his side, and he asks for some water, and she picks milk, as we all know. You know, the stereotypical, can't sleep, have some more milk. So she's really laying it on here. She's like, get comfortable, have some milk, fall asleep, you look tired. So I don't know if she had this in her mind the whole time as soon as he came into the tent, or did she just be like, whoa, I have a situation here in my hands. This is playing right into it. We're not sure. I don't know that she was necessarily a bloodthirsty person because they call her blessed and they kind of lift up this event. So I, it just seems like she took the opportunity at hand. Maybe she was shaking with fear during it. Maybe she second-guessed herself. Maybe she did it on a whim. Maybe she wanted to win Israel's favor and kind of get back in with them. Maybe she sensed that this was an act of, to be used by God. We don't know, but she saw a wartime enemy and did what needed to be done. Now, the thing is that even though they had victory over the 900 chariots and all the other Canaanites were killed, it says, because the leader was still alive, and that time it still wasn't considered a full defeat. So that's why killing the head of the the military was a big, not just a symbol, but a big moment of defeat. And when no military were around, Yael, as I like to say the the Hebrew pronunciation because it sounds fancier, she stepped up. And it makes me think again, Rosie the Riveter, where were the men? They weren't around to kill this guy, and she stepped up. A commentator, Mary Elizabeth Baxter, said, This was an uncommon, unwomanly deed, but intended by God to be a reproach to unmanly men. We're going to be called to step up and do some things that we don't want to do. We may not feel equipped for the situation. We may not think we can handle it may we may not even feel like doing it and hopefully it doesn't involve tent pegs but we have choices we can react like barack and we can worry and we can try to ensure our victory somehow on our own power or we can be like Yael and just say this is at hand it's not going to be pretty but i can do it now we're always going to second guess ourselves we're going to look back and we're going to think on how we could have done things better, how somebody else would have been better for the job. But if we are willing, God can change a life. God can make a difference to other people. When Sisera was dead, who knows how the entire Israelites felt. This wasn't even her people. And she made a difference to God's people by doing this job. God is going to make a difference to us if we're willing to take action. Let's look at Judges five now. First, I want to look. Uh, let me summarize what this is first, and then I want you to read verse seven and then jump down to thirty-one. Judges five is a song of victory, and it says that both Deborah and Barak sang this song, and it was it was a victory celebration. It was a big party that the Canaanites were defeated, and during these times, they they summarized the whole the whole deal, made a nice song. Wonder what the tune was, but. It was just a a way of of routing the Israelites, of being excited over their victory, and also hitting the highlights of what had happened in the battle. Go ahead and read verses 7 and 31.
1: Village life in Israel ceased, ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace forty years.
0: Okay, just to further connect it to Mother's Day, I found it interesting that Deborah calls herself a mother in Israel. And I like the New Living Translation. She call, They call it a mother for Israel. Because they weren't really sure. I me mean, doesn't say she has kids, so she could be a, a mom of birth children. But it could be that she was a motherly leader for Israel itself. Because if you think about the way her leadership style was, she was encouraging, she was supportive and she might have had a more nurturing nature as a leader and those are attributes that we tend to think of moms right she answered questions for people she provided support to Barack in his military role and she was a strong partner for him Um, isn't that what we think about nurturing and caring of our moms when we were young support wisdom encouragement you could ask anything from where's my sock how long does it take to boil an egg or why is life not fair And although moms might have had answers to some of the questions, if they didn't, they offered hugs or encouragement. But it may not have been a mom. It may have been an aunt. It may have been grandma. It may have been our favorite church ladies. But hopefully there's somebody in your life that you can think of who offered this encouragement and support. And that's the visual that I have of Deborah, that she led and she had to be strong, but she also cared and used her heart in this matter. I like the verse 31 that says, May all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And then the land had peace for 40 years. So under Deborah's wise and motherly leadership, there was victory over an oppressive enemy. And then Israel had peace for 40 years. Her leadership seems calm to me, yet strong. And it brought peace. Now, all leaders and followers don't look the same. Your leadership style or the way you follow. It's going to look different from someone else's work. Deborah was leading in a time when women did not, and she was probably compared a lot. Oh, don't know how we're going to have victory under a female leader. Well, she acts differently than those other guys. It was okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. She likely led differently than the men before her or people who came after her, but that was all right. She was chosen for that reason. And your relationship with God, the way you relate to him, what he's called you to do, is going to be different than anyone else. Sure, it's nice to look at for other people and find wisdom in their life path, but it's never going to match, and it's okay. I don't know. I think we can make the comparison game sometimes. Sometimes I look around and think, well, I don't have that person's skills, or I wish I could be better at this. Why why can't I? It's not... It's not that you can't improve on something, but it's okay to feel confident and, okay, this is what I've been given to do. And it's okay for me to be good at this, and God is going to use that person and their combination of skills to do that role. All of our leadership styles and our following styles can look different from one another. They're not supposed to look alike. What we've been tasked to do, God has given us the opportunity to do, and he will make it fit together as it should. In today's scripture passage, I see two different leaders, Deborah and Barack, and one follower who took action. Every organization needs both leaders and followers, and we need that here at Echo, too. We need different styles of leadership and different people who are willing to follow and step up for tasks. So in a way, even followers are leading by example. Even if you don't feel like being in charge when you have a one-on-one relationship with people, you're making a difference. You're encouraging and you're leading in the way you relate to one another. Yael wasn't necessarily a leader, but she acted and she was praised as stepping up in a tough situation. Barak was hesitant as a leader, even though his job was to lead an army, but God still used him. And Deborah was leading in a time when she might not have been well-respected, but she facilitated victory and peace. None of these people may have been the superheroes we think of, but they all led and served and stepped up in a time when God needed them. Echo here i'm going to call on you like rosie the riveter this is a time when we all need to step up god has a plan for our church and it's a different time at hand and we need to find new ways to continue to serve and reach inward and reach outward and so i just want to call us all that it's our community it's our church and we can do it let's pray God, I thank you for everyone here and all those who are part of our community. We thank you for the ways that you've given us each different personalities and different skills and different experiences. You've equipped us to do things for your glory and honor, and you will continue to do so if we put ourselves in your hands. We thank you for bringing us together, this combination of people as a team serve you in this community to lift your name high we just pray for our body of believers that we will go out from here and that we will show your love where we go and that other people will be drawn to you through us in jesus name we pray amen